Welcome back. This is uh, Black Sports 980. We back. I'm your host, Laws. Uh, today we got we got D back with us. We got my man Shaq Daddy here in the building. Kill uh, uh, decided to join us, and, and and later on we'll probably have Aaron join us as well. Um, today we got a couple of topics lined up that we want to discuss. You know, I, I was driving home, and as I'm listening to the radio station, it just blows me that they don't really talk sports. I'm hearing Chad dude talk about cupcakes and food all the time. It just I, like. <laughs> this talk about sports because they ain't never played. And they don't know. They all they want to do is talk about food and all this other alien stuff. So we're gonna stick to the sports in our program for the most part and uh, talk about stuff that really matters, young. So uh, as we we dive right in, um, the first thing that we have on our, our docket to talk about is this article that came out today um, from the Huffington Post. And it was an article, and the title of the article said, Black quarterbacks are benched twice as often as whites. Study fine. And so uh, the, the study was done uh, by this uh, professor. His name is Brian Volz, uh, V-O-L-Z. And he, he's a professor at Assumption College. And yeah, when I heard that, I was like, what kind of little backdoor college is this? Like, Assumption? But it's a real, it's a real school. Um, it's out in uh, Massachusetts, and and the dude is he has credentials. He has his PhD in University of Connecticut, masters at John Hopkins, BS at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. So, I mean, dude, uh, he got a respectable resume. So, um, you know, and he's white. So, if y'all want to take my word for it, my word for it, I mean, never <laughs> know what he's talking about. So, uh, some of the talking points of this article, uh, it says that. He took in account a number of non-racial factors that could influence a quarterback being benched, including age, experience, and performance. The quality of the second-string quarterback who replaced him. Oh, also, he incorporated the quality of the starting quarterback that replaced him. And, of course, injuries that, you know, the quarterback might have sustained. Uh, In addition, he looked at the percentage of black residents in the team's metropolitan area to see if the racial makeup of the fan base had an impact on a decision. And uh, with his finding, it says that he found that uh, once all the variables were factored in, black starting starting quarterbacks are 1.98 to 2.46 times more likely to be benched the next week than white quarterbacks with approximately equivalent skills. This implies that black quarterbacks may face some level of discrimination in the NFL, he writes. Uh, The results suggest some whites feel a degree of discomfort seeing an African-American in an on-field leadership role. And this puts pressure on black quarterbacks to produce quickly or be replaced. Uh, well, that, that's some strong statements there. Uh, well, what, what are your thoughts, Akil, since you, you know on the show, what, what do you got to say about it? What, what do, you, do you think it's true? Do you, do you agree I mean, I, it? I definitely think it's, I definitely think it's true and not just, get benched more often but they have a longer life expectancy as far as being a quarterback in the league period the average black quarterback if you look at any of them in history there's been so few that have made it more than four or five years starting it's just a a common you can look at it and see the average lifespan but then you have quarterbacks like brian hoyer who makes it and goes from team to team starting year after year after year But somebody like uh, Jason Campbell gets three years or Dante Culpepper gets four years or 
you have to go to like people like Steve McNair, who was quarterback in I'm not even sure how many years in Tennessee. God rest his soul. He was there for a while. Vic was playing for a while. And McNabb was playing for a while. Those are the three biggest ones up until now you have Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. But before this generation, the average black quarterback was gone after like four or five years, no matter how good they were doing. They waited until somebody came along, new management, new something, and that person was gone and blackballed pretty much. And it happened time and time again. You can never tell why. Each city has its own reasons. Building the team up again, they want to get rid of everybody. No matter how good the player was doing, contract comeback, they don't want to re-sign them. Whatever it is, I couldn't tell you, but I just know from seeing firsthand, most of those quarterbacks can't even start more than four or five years, no matter how good or bad they were playing. Yeah, nah, I mean. Yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, you look at some other quarterbacks. You got guys like Aaron Brooks. They used to play be the quarterback on New Orleans. I mean, these guys don't get a second chance. So not only do black quarterbacks have a less chance of staying the starter, but once they lose that starting job, they don't get an opportunity to go anywhere else to really be that starter, to be the. the they don't even a, blow it though. And 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 that's and that's the thing that really you can see, and it's evident when you guys got like Brady Quinn and uh that were in the league for a very long time and he was some bum he was a bum when he came in the league he wasn't a guy you you base a franchise around but yet he has he had a, a pretty good career in the nfl i mean look at jimmy clausen garbage but yet he still <laughs> finds a way to be a backup on somebody's team and a lot of times i think too is black quarterbacks are put with the stigma that we're only athletic but we're not cerebral enough to be the starter of a franchise. So whenever you hear talking about a black quarterback, they talk about how athletic he is, how he can run and scramble out the pocket and throw on a run and go for the first down and how big and strong they are. But no one ever talks about how strong his arm is, how he can throw from the pocket. You know, so you they also so they immediately categorize black quarterbacks as just athletes playing the position and not necessarily that cerebral type player. Like guy like Cam Newton, Cam Newton got an arm. Yes, uh. he can run, but he is tall. He 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 has an arm strength. He's cerebral. Now you have other guys like Vic, of course, you know, Michael Vic, you know, he, he was he's known for his athleticism, but you do have some quarterbacks that can throw from the pocket. I mean, look at a guy from well back in the day, this is back in the day, maybe telling my age. Uh for the for the Houston Oilers, what's what's the guy's name from Houston Oilers? That should be. I mean, he's to put a big numbers in that run and shoot offense, and I can't. Warren um, Moon. Moon. I mean, Moore. he had a guy that could throw. Yeah, you could throw from the pocket, but I felt like now when when a black quarterback comes out, they just put into one category is athletic, and when they can't produce, they're they're they're, they're said that oh, all they can do is run the the read option. That's as that's as good they can go read play action. Don't don't do step drop. Don't do a, a shotgun or anything because they can't do that. So you have a lot of times they get pigeonholed into these positions where they're only let they're only allowed to be a certain way. As opposed to when the white quarterback comes in, they're already thought to be to have the 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 you know the the smarts to play the position. So they're they're less likely 
to to be pigeonholed or the, the the offense would be skewed down. And when they can run, it's a big to do. Like guys like Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck, it's a big deal when they can run a four five, four six. And the black quarterback does Absolutely. it. It's just like it's it's expected. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nah. I think I think Warren Moon. No, I was gonna say I think Warren Moon is the last guy to go from team to team and get a starting job again. And that's part of that's the it. reason that this number is affected is because you have a guy like Jason Campbell that goes from the Redskins to the 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 um the Raiders and he doesn't get to start again. So automatically it adds to the number of players that have been benched. Like you said, Aaron Brooks went from the Saints to whoever he went to, I can't remember, and he went he went to the bench. Um you go back to Jeff Blake leaving Cincinnati. He left there, went to Baltimore, he went on the bench. So it's like these guys, they end up on the bench wherever they go because they get put out of whatever team they're on and can't find another team to pick them up, but they need a body at backup, so they put them on there. They don't put them in to try and start. Yeah, or in gadget plays. Gadget. I'm sure Aaron has a lot to offer on this, this, this topic. Uh, you want you want to chime in here? Uh, before before you do, before you do, I just want to throw, throw a list of some names out there. You got uh, Troy Smith. Tavares Jackson, Vince Young, Jason Campbell, Seneca Wallace. Where are these guys? Like, they're nowhere to be found. David Garrard. Tavares like, is the only one backing up a black guy. Yeah, like, and, and, and for the most part, like, these guys are just like, they're not, I mean, you got Vic, but I, now I would say, like, Tommy was just doing them, doing Vic a favor, you know what I'm saying, they're bringing them on a the roster, because you see a bunch of no good quarterbacks on all these other teams that aren't getting no you know, nobody talk about how sorry these backups are around the league. Matt Flynn, and they keep getting chance after chance. Like, and and I'm not to be the starter. The better, yeah, they didn't start. So it's it's, it's crazy. What, what you got to say, Aaron? I know, I know, you got some 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 words you want to interject. Because of the climate we're in, I'm going to try to avoid a lot of what I would say normally uh, most of the time. Um, so I'm gonna keep it short, but it's. It, it's the thing I have an issue with is the lack of awareness as it relates to the white commentators, the white media, um, and even other white players as to the white quarterback privilege. I was watching the uh, the, the Green Bay um, Carolina game this weekend, and Cam uh, switched the protection on one of the plays. If you could have heard the analysis, oh, look at Cam. He just he he just changed the protection like. He just threw five touchdowns in one play. And I'm like, what do you expect? He's an NFL quarterback. That's part of the job and the job requirement. But it's just, they rarely understand that there's very little difference in the players. It's just the, the opportunity and the way that the players are, are perceived in the eyes of the media. And if the media perceives them a certain way, the fans regurgitate whatever they get from the media. So if the media says one thing, then the fans are going to take it and run with it. And, it, and that's just going to be what history uh, reads as it relates to, to a lot of these players that aren't white. Mm. Yeah, nah, I agree. I mean, you know, of course, Devil's Advocate would always say, well, they're just not that good. They're just not that good to play. But, like, when you're comparing them to people who clearly aren't good, like Matt Flynn has went to, like, three different teams and gotten opportunities to start, and he's trash. Like, he's a bought-up piece of paper in my hand that, like, fell outside. Like, you just throw him in the circle of the bench. He's terrible. And yet, he keeps getting chance after chance after chance. Like, Matt Castle, trash. Brandon Whedon, trash. 
trash. You know what I'm saying? And you can't tell me Jason Campbell's not not did like he's a serviceable quarterback. He was uh No, nah, he's more than serviceable. He's he's a Pro Bowl candidate on the right team. He can make the Pro Bowl, guaranteed. And and and, and there's no had, way Whedon's making a Pro Bowl ever. Ever, ever. You know, but I mean, this is just the reality. And I know some people, you know, like, you know, when we call this like black sports radio, you know, radio and, and we, we talk about different things. We're not really just trying to like bash white quarterbacks or white white people. We're just trying to bring some awareness to these situations and these disparities that lie within the league. And it's just facts. It's not we're not making this up, you know, and, and clearly there there's a concerted effort to make the it look like or seem that things are one way when like no, like we see through the BS. Like we see through it and we see that these quarterbacks that you're selling out here are just no good. And you know, I'm 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 I can be objective and in, in, in the same in the same way. Like Michael Vick, his best days are behind him. Like he's just not he's not able to do some of the things he was able to do before. That's fine. But he's in my opinion, he's still better than Matt Flynn and a lot of these other guys out here that keep getting first first team, first rep offensive look. You know? So I, I'm who knows? Who knows what what it is. But, you know, I, I appreciate my, my guests coming on and, and really bringing some clarity to, the, to these issues because it's real. It's real talk. It's just real talk. So I'm, I'm going to give you one, one, one quick example before we go. Let's talk about a guy, like Matt Ca- a guy like Matt Castle, right? He left okay. New England, went to Kansas City, right? He threw, in his first year in Kansas City as a starting quarterback, threw 16 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. Then with the start of the following year, he had a pretty good year. 27 touchdowns, 7 NOs. But then that 10 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. And then went to Minnesota and became the starting quarterback again. You like that? You like that? To me, it doesn't make sense. And then he went to Buffalo shortly after that and was being considered to be the starter again. Like, why did these guys... Terrible and shown to be terrible. They they hit they hit their season. They hit their they hit their ceiling. Their ceiling's been hit, and yet they still get an opportunity not just to play on, but to be a actor on a team. Yeah, nah. And and one other thing is another proponent to that is the lack of black offensive coordinators and head coaches in the league. That's a huge part of it because. To be honest, if I was a head coach or offensive coordinator and I had the choice between who to pick, I'm probably going to pick somebody that I relate to most. And I'm not saying they're purposely saying, oh, this guy is black. I'm not taking him. But obviously, like the situation here where one guy you relate to and who, who kind of comes from the same culture you do, so you vibe on a different level where it looks like it's an awkward situation while you're coaching the other guy, of course you're going to lean in the direction of the guy you're comfortable with. And, and it, it also comes down to things like that. The black GM, yeah. black head coaches, and black offensive coordinator. The one black wow. offensive coordinator I can think of got fired last week. So that's a, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point because you're right. You know, if, if they got a choice, they're gonna identify with the person that looks like them, and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna go with that guy, whether he's capable or not or qualified. That the comfort alone will allow them to make that decision. But you know, but. It, it just it, it it burdens me when they try to like take that out of it and just say it's all football related 
when it's clearly not. They're making decisions not based off of football. It's not. No, it can't be. Like, it can't be. Because these dudes are trash. They're going out on the field and they're not producing. So football and like, there's no way you can... You can pick when when you look at Kirk Cousins, you look at RG three. You just put them on the same scale. You know it might might measure out the same way, but you can't say that Kirk Cousins is better because the outcome is the same. Like they're losing, they're not winning. He's not putting up better numbers. So it like there needs to be some 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 ob- objectivity with these decisions that are being made and and. and but it just isn't, and I mean that's just a—it's just a, a caveat of the society that we, we live in. So, um, uh, moving on to our, our second topic today, and we'll come—we'll come—we'll spin back around a, another quarterback controversy later. But as of right now, we're talking about uh, Mike McCarthy. This dude has decided to make James Starks the number one running back on the team. Eddie Lacy has lost his job, and now James Starks is the number one running back. So, I looked at the numbers, and the numbers say Eddie Lacy, 308 yards rushing, 3.7 yards per carry, two touchdowns this year. And this is seventh, eighth game. James Starks, 344 rushing yards, 4.3 yards a carry, one touchdown. So, I'm trying to figure out, like, what did they expect to happen? Like, these numbers aren't that, that much, that different from one another. The, the thing about that, Harold, that kind of directly ties into what we were just talking about, when mistakes are made and when the guy doesn't end up looking good and it's time to What guy? What guy, blame, you about? What, what guy you I'm talking gonna, about? No, no, I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> something to change. Something has to change, and it's not going to be the guy. Not saying the guy should be changed. If, I'm not saying I'm saying the guy because it's a number of situations throughout the league. It's not just this particular situation. But when things mm-hmm. don't go as they as people expect them to go, and you have a lot of guys who are either high profile or um, their controversies and coaches don't want to be boxed into having to make a decision that they're not ready to make yet, the blame has to go somewhere. Mm. And so sometimes little things like this will get done to kind of uh, pacify a fan base or media. Or kind of to shift the focus off of what may be a, a totally different issue, which might it might have been a horrible game plan. It might have been a bad quarterback performance, just stuff like that. So, so what you're well, saying, I, I, I just want to clarify what you're saying is that in certain situations where maybe one person can be to blame, the 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 focus is shifted to other other parts in order to take blame away from. Who could possibly be held accountable in these in the circumstances and situations? And this is the thing. And I don't necessarily know if it's to take blame away from somebody because I believe, I mean, I believe in the locker room, if you're doing things like that, um, the players are seated and you'll lose the locker room. So I believe behind closed doors, you're saying, oh, we didn't have a good game plan or you didn't play well. But as far as it relates to the media and in images, they have a certain players of being perfect and things like that, and even coaches of being geniuses and having these game plans. And if a coach comes out and puts up 76 yards, or Aaron Rodgers puts up 76 yards passing an entire game, uh, finish him. Something has to happen. <laughs> you gonna say something? Well, I, I, I would think though. I would think 
that this. Oh, this I think I think the coaches are. I, I would give this one a benefit of the doubt. This coach is pretty smart. I don't think he's thinking of it as deep as that. More so, we got to try something because we were expected to win this division. Um, we were expected to be competing with Seattle in votes for who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. And our offense isn't looking good. We lost Jordy Nelson, and the dynamic factor in our offense is gone. Eddie Lacy's not that guy that you can defer to out of the backfield to catch the ball on a on a on an out route or a slant route, something like that. And you got to try something at this point to add that dynamic factor. Randall Cobb isn't getting it done either. He's he's been nowhere to be found this season. So they got to try something. That's where I think they're coming from in this scenario. Is you got to try something. It okay, doesn't well, hurt. I, you got to try something. I want to clarify. I don't think these are like this is a conscious effort to protect Aaron Rodgers or to protect Mike McCarthy with the game plan for the last two weeks. What okay. I'm saying is exactly what you're saying. We got to try something, and that try something a lot of times isn't going to involve trying something with the head coach or trying something with the quarterback, especially when it relates to like an elite quarterback or one of the the guys that they have or up on those upper echelons or like on a pedestal. Mm, I, right. I mean, I, okay. I, I would I would kind of piggyback what the kill just said, just on one of the points you made. I just simply think it's this: when you don't have your stud at wide receiver and Jordy Nelson, you're just going to see a different type of defense play. When you have Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb on the outside, you have to respect that, and they can both beat you deep. But when you have just Randall Cobb and not your number one, defense can play you differently. I mean, his yard per carry, when, you, when you're averaging under four yards a carry, I mean, you just ain't doing it as a running back. You got to be minimum four yards plus a carry. Yeah. You're getting three yards a carry, I mean, you might as well throw a short pass instead of running that football because it doesn't make sense to only three yards. And Eddie's Lacey, yeah, his numbers are definitely down this year, hands down, but I think it's because they lost that dynamic receiver in Jordy Nelson. They don't, they don't have that extra component to their offense so they want to use the running game, but now the running game to me is just a way to keep the defense honest because mm-hmm. they don't really have to put, they play you differently now when you don't have that guy on the outside. I mean, Joey Nelson be dogging people. You lose that, I mean, you can got, you can bring more guys in the box to stop that run. And furthermore, when I look at James Starks, I just think it's James Starks as, you know, the sometimes the most popular guy on a team is the backup. When you look at his number, when you look at his number. Boy, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's, that's the guy that's the backup is the most popular when the starter's not performing. So you say, well, let me do something different. Let me get the backup. Well, the problem is when you get this backup, to me, he's not a starter. He's not a number one running back, period. He's your change of pace, whatever you want to do. Take take some load off your number one. But you don't start James Stark. I think what's going to happen is they're going to start him. And he may start, but he may not get as many carries as Eddie Lacy. I just can't see that. I don't think he's gonna get hurt. Number one, I don't. I don't think he's gonna last to take like the full brunt of the load at starting running back. So I think this is just a change to see if he can do better than Eddie Lacy. But I don't. I don't truly believe. Think I don't think they believe that this is gonna be the answer either. They just don't I have Jordy Nelson. Uh, yeah, I want to yeah. piggyback on what Drawson was saying in reference to Starks. I think that the main point of adding him in the lineup is to use him. I think he's going to have probably six or seven receptions, and they're going to probably use him to try to take pressure off of Aaron Rodgers with that bad old line. So I think 
primarily what he's going to do is either catch screens or like try to uh, what do you call it where you uh, where they blitz pick up and then you get out into a route just like quick easy receptions because the O line is terrible. That's part yes, of the reason is. the runs not work because the O line is, is bad. What if this is just a way to motivate Eddie Lacy though? I don't. Think what if this is just trying to put the battery in his back? I mean, it could be. I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, the next the next team they play on it on it on a who, who they play next? Who they, they got next on the uh, coming up? Yeah, that's Detroit. It. So that should be easy. Okay, this should so kill them I mean, running. Detroit. That's a division, Joe. So yeah, I mean, he Eddie Lacy could have a better game. Like their 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 defense isn't stout stopping a run, but. I mean, you just you, you never know, man. I mean, I, I, Akil, you might be right. He might be trying to motivate Eddie Lacy behind closed doors with this move or whatever. But uh, I just can't see them going to James Parks when he's clearly like a backup running back. I mean, he's not bad, but like if you talk about upside, Eddie Lacy has shown and proven that he he can do you know more than than James Starks, in my opinion. That's just that's just my opinion. So. And the numbers are too like they're too comparable. Like they're just like right there. With each other. It's the so, same thing, yeah. It's not like it's not like he putting in Adrian Peterson over Matt Asiata or somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's you, know, <laughs> you got you got the same type of like player. So it's not really. I don't really think it's the running back's fault. I just think like you say them losing Jordy Nelson on the outside, them having their defenses changing the way they defend them. Um, you know their O line not being as good as it, as it, it once has been, and all these factors are just like taking out the running game. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't know. I don't know if it if it, if it'll come around or not. You know, but we'll we'll have to see. Move moving along. Our third topic for this evening, we're talking about this Aaron Boy, Johnny Manziel, Josh McCown. So Mike Patton, he has a decision this week uh, to, to to either start Johnny Manziel or go with Josh McCown. And right now, he hasn't declared either one of them the starter. It's, it's a little convoluted as to Josh McCown's health, but he's like practicing limited. It's like he was limited in practice, but you know they're not really like he's not really saying who's going to start. And so my question is, like, who should he start? Uh, I'm waiting for Aaron to chime in and go. (laughs) All right, so this is my general philosophy in the league. So my usually nine times out of ten, unless it's some extenuating circumstances, it's going to always be consistent to this. If you have a garbage team and you're not going to win, why are you playing a guy that you know is not the guy, that you know is not going to be the guy, when you have a younger quarterback, especially a first-round quarterback, who could, they might not, you might sacrifice one or two wins, but in the long run, you'll either know faster whether he's going to be the guy, or you'll give him that the time to develop the snaps, the reps that all these coaches like to cry about when it takes two or three years for their system to work. And... He's handicapping the team by playing McCown. Now, McCown's playing the best he's ever played in the league. And it's still a question on whether you should put a guy who hasn't been in the league two years in. That should let you know. 11 touchdowns, 4 INTs in six games. That's Josh McCown. 1897 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, 4 INTs. 
Yeah, and he got 65% passing percentage. He's Like you said, he's having a good season. By the end of the day, is that really going to be your franchise quarterback? Mm. I don't think I don't. I think Josh McCown really hit his ceiling when he was in Chicago when he when he came in for uh, Jay Cutler yeah. for like half the season. I, I think that's the best you're going to get out of him. And I don't think you're going to get any better than that. And like Aaron said, yeah, I think, next, I think we've seen what he can do. Yeah, exactly. And you have a guy like Johnny Manziel. It's going to be growing pains. I mean, there's definitely going to be that. But to me, you go with that young guy because you're not going to go to the playoffs. I mean, that team's not going to the playoffs. So, I mean, what's the difference? Start the young guy, see what he can do. And if he messes up, yeah, then you you move forward. But you don't start Josh McCown because you're, you're not winning games with Josh McCown. He's 36 years old. How much longer do you expect him to be in the league? I mean, you got to go with the young guy. And to me, going back and forth, you know, one week is Josh McCown. Then it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go Johnny Manziel. I mean, that doesn't help anybody. To me, you pick your quarterback and you just go with it until, until you can see exactly what he can do. So, Josh so, McCown, man. He, he, Josh McCown goes back to our first point we were talking about. He's been everywhere around the league, all up and down the East Coast, and with different teams. And you've seen what he can do. But you don't know what Johnny can do. So why start him? Yeah, well, well, I well, think I wonder if they're afraid. I wonder if they're afraid to really put the power of the team being in control of Johnny in Johnny's hands, like because of was. his history, because of his past, because of his celebrity. All of these things add up and could create um, distraction. The next distraction, right? It, I mean, they they look at him and see they still see him doing the money the money celebration and doing all this stuff, even though he's matured some, he hasn't shown it off the field. And I don't know if they want that to be the face of their franchise. And that, that more than anything, when you have somebody that has invested money into, into an NFL franchise, they want to be well represented no matter what. So they worry more than anything about that. You know, which is why the, the, didn't they try to get Johnny Mazzell? Their, some of their picks? To move up to get him? I think uh, they did, but then they were hoping they for like an instant maturity from him. Yeah, they did have two picks that year. You're right. Oh, okay. They okay. were hoping for instant maturity though. And I they knew they should have known they weren't gonna get instant maturity. But I think that they, they figured with a paycheck comes responsibility and you should be holding to that responsibility. And they weren't expecting him to come out go out party in Vegas and go out and do all this, that, and the other. And they got that, and it freaked them out. Well, what is the thing? This is the thing. I got two, two, two issues with that. One is that he is what they thought that he was. Like, it's just like you dating, a, you you start talking to a young man. She out here in the street. She says she cheated on her last six boyfriends. And then you just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to wipe this junk. You're a fool. What you think she going to do? Like, Johnny has been with Johnny has been. And right, and right now, right now, the, the face of the franchise is L. It's an L. It's a big capital L because that's all they catch. L's all the time. And, and, and until, until they, they, they recognize that they have to do something. And, 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 and if this is, the, this is the dilemma that Mike Penn's in. He wants to play 
Josh McCown because in his mind he probably feels most comfortable and confident in Josh McCown to help him win now. He doesn't. He's not sure if he'll be there next year. So he's like, well, I gotta kind of like gotta win now in order to even be able to be in a conversation for next year. I don't want to go on or basically go through the growing pains with Johnny McZell for the next the next head coach, and I don't get to stay here. So I mean, clearly this back and forth is just his un his insecurity with the whole situation because he don't know if they'll a- actually give him the chance to let his system. Like, be able to grow with Johnny Manziel, to be able to, like, develop with him. He doesn't even know he'll be afforded that time to do that. So, he's just like, young, I, I kind of, like, got to go with, like, what I, I know, even though it doesn't necessarily guarantee that it'll be, like, a win for me, you know? So, like, like everybody's right. Everybody's completely right. You know, Josh McCown, ceiling, we've seen it. And you just don't know what Johnny Manziel's ceiling is. And, and I think it's much higher than, than Josh McCown, given his athleticism, his ability to throw, his ability to run. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But, like, the season is slipping away. Like, it, 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 they're 2-8 and eight right now, and the season it's is slipping away. It's so, slipped. It's gone. <laughs> well, yeah. He, like, it's disappeared. Yeah, Johnny Manziel is actually paying for Josh Gordon's mistakes right now. Because mm-hmm. he has no rope because of all the stuff Josh Gordon put the Browns through. He has no mm-hmm. rope at all. So it's like that. He's under lock and key. And because of that, they're afraid to give him a rope to hang himself with. They gave Josh Gordon plenty of rope and he hung himself, kicked the chair out from underneath himself and everything. But he he doesn't have that same luxury because of that. So now he's paying the price for it. He can't go out there and even try because he doesn't get a chance at all. Mm. Uh, well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to watch, wait and watch to see what Mike Patton decides to do come Sunday. Uh, but as for tonight, Thursday night football gets kicked uh, started off tonight. Uh, we have Rex Ryan with the Jets coming back to East, East Rutherford, New Jersey, to play the Buffalo Bills. And this time, Rex Ryan is the away team. Um, he went on this week to name Aki and uh, I. You know how you say cousin in Campanile or whatever. Yeah. Ik, yeah, Ik. Fight night, fight night, Aki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so jawbreaker, jawbreaker. Call him jawbreaker. Right. Aki jawbreaker. Uh, Ko uh, named him co-captain for Thursday night's game, and so you know. They asked some of the uh, Jets players how they felt about it. And Calvin Pryor, of course, he had something to say. This Batman don't even be playing, but um, he, he got something to say. So he, he says, uh, it says, uh, he had some choice words for uh, Rex Ryan this week. And he's like, um, takes, uh, he took offense to the decision making the IK the um, co-captain. Um, and he was just like, you know, that's messed up or whatever, whatever. And he, he basically like, talked about Rex Ryan as a coach and said he was a good coach, defensive-minded, but he didn't put people in the right positions and stuff like that. So, you know, you know how players do. They just, you know, they talk bad. They feel like they're getting slighted or whatever. But uh, what I found interesting is what Buster Screen had has said about the whole situation. When they asked him about the whole IK thing, he said it was funny that he named him uh, the co-captain. And he was like, I know a lot of people on this team are still cool with IK. Screen said, 
what happened between him and Gino is what happened between them two. Not everybody likes everybody. Clearly, they don't like each other. And what happened, happened. So from hearing that, you know, my sentiments is like, <laughs> the, like he don't got it. Like, batters don't mess with Gino in that locker room at all, for real, for real. Like, they did, like usually you hear teams like, yeah, we're going to go out there. We're going to stand up for our teammate. Like, it was wrong, blah, blah. But, like, like people like, whatever. Like, I mean, that was between them, you know? And, you know, here, here, Rex Ryan has a little bit of gamemanship with it, trying to, like, you know, stir the pot to get his team motivated and hype. You know how Rex Ryan does, but... Um, what are, what are y'all thoughts on it? Do you think that was crud by uh, Rex Ryan, or, or do you think it's you know effective, or is that just who Rex Ryan is? Do we That's know if Gino's Rex starting Rex. tonight? Gino's not starting, so he can't even defend himself. Okay, like he he will be on the sideline. It's and, better. And okay, he doesn't start. <laughs> Ryan Patrick touchdowns <laughs> against the Buffalo Bills tonight for him. Well, okay. To, just to talk about two, well, to talk about that situation, this is Rex Ryan being Rex Ryan. He just does stuff like that. That's stuff. That's just who Rex is. I, I don't see it being a big deal. Just, you know what I'm saying? But you know, to talk about like the game itself tonight, like I believe that the Jets are gonna win the game, and the reason why I say that is because I feel like the the Bills have underachieved this year. Like the Bills yeah. made some major, major, major moves in the offseason. Yeah. They got Rex Ryan. They re-signed the defensive end in Hughes. They they got LaShawn McCoy. They got Percy Harvin. And of course, they still had, you know, Sammy Watkins. I mean, they really like beefed up that team to make a run at the um, AFC East. And they just underachieved. Like offensively, I don't I don't understand why you can have Sammy Watkins. Well, he hasn't been playing a hundred percent. But you have like guys like Char- you got Charles Clay. I mean, you got a tight end, you got running backs, you got the guy, the young kid from Florida State, um, Carlos Williams, and yet you got Tyrod Taylor, who I think is a who is a good quarterback. But some reason it's, it's just not coming together for them in a total package. Like their defense is like middle of the road, and to me they got one of the sickest defensive lines in the NFL, and I don't understand why. That defense is not any better. I don't know if it's a three-four, and you got certain guys that just can't play three-four that well, like Mario Williams. Maybe he's he's more of a four-three defensive end, but maybe that's why some of the players said that Rex Ryan puts guys out of position. When I look at this, when I look at the roster, it doesn't make sense. You look at that roster, and you look at their record and how they've been playing. I just thought they'll be a little more dominant as a team. You know, people in the in the season first started saying the Bills might make a run at the AFC East. And now I look at them, they're, yeah. they're just not, they're just not doing it. Like the Jets, on the other hand, I mean the Jets. Over, I mean over. Brandon Marshall came back and is, 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 I mean Brandon Marshall is killing. Eric Decker's doing this thing, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is just—he's doing enough to not hurt the team. He's definitely better right. than Geno Geno Smith all day. You know they got they got Ivory who was just running over people. So they got and they got a good defense, of course. You know Revis and and Cromartie and. Wilkinson, all those guys, but I just feel like the Jets are going to win. I just think the Jets are playing better than the Bills. To me, the Bills still haven't put it all together just yet with all the talent they have on that team. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the, the Jets got to have their, their hands full tonight. I mean, of course, Rex Ryan coming home, there's going to be a, a, a added, you know, um, 
you know, excitement about about playing back in that stadium and wanted to like stick it to his his former team. But like you say, you're right. Like he hasn't put it together. Like they have not played to the full potential of the players that they have on their roster. Um, you know, defensively, I felt like you know the coach from last year got more out of the players than he's getting out of them this year, and you know they they just haven't played that well. And I I, I have been pleasantly surprised to see the Jets actually play pretty good this year, um, defensively and offensively. And they had some you know some down times too, but and defensively they kind of like taking a hit and, and starting to give up some stuff. But overall, you know, for their record, they show like they play some tough teams. They, I mean, you play the Patriots, they're likely gonna gonna mess up your your defensive numbers, like just bottom line. So uh, I, I got the Jets in this one too. Like, I, if I gotta pick a team to win, I, I think I'm going with the Jets on this one. I like Ty Bowles. I like some of the things that they try to do defensively and offensively. You kind of just know what you're gonna get, and I don't think that the Bills have enough to to stop it. Uh, I mean, it, you, you let Miami beat you, and it, it, they're not that good. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. But if I got to pick a team, I'm going with the Jets. Who you, who you got, Shaq? Aaron? Uh, I mean, by default, I got to get the Jets because we haven't seen enough from the Bills consistency-wise, um, like Jonathan was saying. The, the team, what I've noticed, though, is that they haven't had their full roster of players on offense together at one time, it seems like. Somebody's always down and hurt. So they haven't been able to get that that machine rolling and, and get it well-oiled and get everything up in two-tempo. But Rex isn't an offensive guy, so that's really dependent on the offensive coordinator. He's always deferred to the offensive coordinator for whatever their game plan is, which was why the Jets looked so bad the past couple years he was there, their offensive coordinator wasn't putting it together their first couple years he had a decent offensive coordinator and that's what helped get him to the AFC championship and their defense was monster I think he's lost his edge though he doesn't have what he used to when he first got to the Jets that that thing I don't know what it is but that thing is missing that that edge he gave that mean streak he gave to his defense that signature Ryan defense is kind of been muted it's not it's not it doesn't have the same effect it used to you're not afraid to play a rex ryan defense like you used to be and the other thing the second note is geno smith is uh the laughing stock of the nfl that's why he put the ik thing in and it's the same it's the same reason that that detroit their preseason game for the music for introductions played i can't feel my face he's the laughing stock nobody respects him at all uh, yeah, that's the hey, I, yeah, that's a fact, bro. That's a fact. Cause I've been going in on Gino. I mean, Jets. Period. I mean, it's been trash. <laughs> you know, I don't have no love, no love for Gino. But yeah, bro. Yeah. And who do you have for this for tonight's game? Or who do you have? I like the Bills tonight, but um, the Jets have been a, a better team to this point. But I think what's killed uh, the Bills is the injury. Because uh, yeah. LaShawn McCoy was out, the quarterback was out, and they had Garbage Boy in there. I can't remember what, what's his name um, from Florida State. DJ Manuel started yeah. for two games. He's trash. Uh, <laughs> Percy Harvin's out for the season, uh, and then uh, Sammy Watkins was playing at like sixty, seventy percent when he was playing, and I think he missed a game or two. So I think yeah. uh, the defense took a step back because their defense was much better last year. But that's what happens when you have like a good segment of a team and they get a new offensive coordinator. Um, 
But I just feel like the Jets are going to have to put up some points tonight. Um, and I don't know if they're going to be able to. Uh, I just think it, it'll be close, but I think it'll be probably like 24 to 17 or 24 20 uh, Buffalo. Okay. There you got it. You got our, our predictions. You got three of us with the Jets and then Aaron with the, I mean, uh, three of us, yeah, three of us with the Jets and Aaron with the Bills. Um, which is the problem because we had this discussion last year. All of us would have picked any other team that played the Jets. It didn't matter. We picking the opposite <laughs> duty. So, so a lot has changed in a year. But uh, moving on to our last topic uh, uh, of tonight, um, and this 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 is a uh, like I got I got I got a soft spot in my heart for this dude because he's so talented. But the Bama can't get his mind right. I I don't know. So I'm going to just read you the apology he had last night. Uh, and, and we're talking about none other than DeMarcus Cousins with the Sacramento uh, Kings. I guess before the game, they had like a team meeting. And so DeMarcus Cousins, he goes off in the meeting on the coach, Coach George Carl. He like kirks out on him and says some stuff. I, I don't even know what he said, but apparently it was so big that it like everybody heard about it. And so uh, this was his apology he wrote. It says, it is no secret that we are all frustrated with losing. Me more than anyone, Cousins wrote. I let my frustrations get the best of me in the locker room after the San Antonio loss. This is my bad. For the record, my frustration is not about any one person or player or coach. This is no one person to blame. All of us are accountable. My frustration is that we are one in seven. Simple as that. And so he made this statement. And then they have the game. And young, I watched the, the highlights from the game. This man with DeMarcus Cousins was cooking. This man was hitting tray ball. This man was four for five from the three-point line. 6'10", shooting tray. Goodness. Dog, the man had 33 points, nine rebounds, and a block. Like, he was frying. After the game, he, he made this statement. The best thing that came out of the meeting this win, Cousins said, but I'll take it. If it results... From this every night, I'll take the hit and I'll be the scapegoat. So, I mean, what, what, my question is, the Sacramento Kings are about to be some trash. It doesn't matter how, if he does 33 and 9 every night, they're still trash. If you have, your team had the opportunity to get DeMarcus Cousins, do you make that move? If you're the Washington Absolutely. Team, I know you're the Miami <laughs> I know, uh, 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 do you make that move? All right, all right, Aaron, you say you do. Okay, why? Why, why do you make that move? Well, I'll be specific and then I'll be general. With the Wizards, they can, nobody on the team can get their own shot, can score without having to run a play or it being a fast break or something like that. You can't win in the NBA in 2015 with that outdated style. And he's head and shoulders more athletic and a better offensive presence in the paint than Gortat, because Gortat kind of needs screen and, uh, screen and roll to score. So as far as the Wizards go, you have to take them. Uh, generally speaking, you know yourself, Harold, uh, being an athlete, if you're good and you're playing on a team and you keep losing and you're doing your what you have to do, but you're losing because the pieces around you either don't fit or aren't adequate, that's one of the most frustrating things in sports yeah. to have to deal with. And, I mean, he was... Some people are just out of control. He's one of those guys. Like, you knew he was OC back in Kentucky, but they were winning, so you didn't have these kind of blow-ups. I feel like if you put him in a winning situation, he's still going to be him. I'm not saying he's going to turn into uh, some other guy, but 
it won't be as bad and you won't have these kind of blow-ups because the frustration level will be gone. Yeah. Nah. What you what you think, D? Uh, it depends. In terms of talent, in my opinion, DeMarcus Cousins can be the... To me, he might be the best power forward in the game because he has the old school in him. He can put you in a post and dominate you with just straight size and strength. The Bama's strong. So you can't stop him on the block. But then he can come outside and knock down the J. Like, his game is so good. But the problem with DeMarcus Cousins is that you gotta have a, you can't have no Mamsy Pamsy coach because it's gonna be the same thing like it is with George Carl right now. It's, It's not gonna work. You might need somebody like, maybe like Doc Rivers, like a Doc Rivers to deal with somebody like him. Because Doc Rivers is a guy that was able to coach Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, and Rondo all on the same team. And all of them have egos. Like, you got to have a a coach that could be able to handle somebody like him. And the thing is, when you have have somebody like George Carl who came in off the break trying to trade the Bama. And the thing is, you obviously see there's there's an issue because... There's an issue between Carl and the GM. Because Diva is like, don't mess with him. But George Carl wanted to suspend him. So you got a tension there between them two. And George that's never, Carl has I an never, issue I, with every superstar. Every superstar. And, and the thing with George Carl, I don't know why they hired him in the first place. I didn't understand the hire. No. It didn't make sense. Like, this the same guy that got coach of the year and then got fired the same season. Like... <laughs> <laughs> You know, to me, if you had the right coach and a team that's winning, then you got it. You definitely pick them up 100%. But if you have a, a scrub team trying to rebuild in the building process and you got a coach that's young, you'll get ran over. Like, you couldn't put him like, with the Knicks because Derek Fisher would not be able to handle him. Like, no. it has to be a certain type of coach and a certain type of team, like the right atmosphere to be able to, to you know, get the, the, the best potential like everything out of DeMarcus Cousins. He's still going to be DeMarcus. At the end of the day, he's still going to have the same attitude. That ain't going to change. But if you win a game and you have certain people around him, it'll just, it won't be as bad as it is now. So a kill. Like, you got the Miami Heat. Y'all got big men there. Y'all got a situation. If you got an opportunity to get him, you, you, going, you going to take him? Well, I, I, when I said absolutely, I meant more in a general sense. But... I mean, to echo the sentiment, winning cures everything. So no matter how much he brings to the table, if he's bringing W's and you're giving him W's and you're giving him some kind of leadership, I think he falls in line and he's a good soldier. I see him like I saw Rasheed Wallace. Rasheed Wallace was a loose cannon and had, had all the attitude problems in the world when he was losing. When he was winning, and as he matured in his career, he was one of the best locker room guys. You can ask everybody. He's one of the best locker room guys. One person you'd want on the floor no matter what situation because you knew he was there for the team. And that's how I see DeMarcus Cousins. All the talent in the world, he has to mature, obviously. But if you give him those wins and you give him that leadership, he will be fine. Now, as far as Miami goes, it's tough because do you give up somebody like a Hassan Whiteside who's coming into his own and he's becoming one of the better centers in the league? 
or do you or do you give up a Chris Bosh who's proven as one of the better players in the league, not just a big man, but one of the better players, period, to get somebody like Demarcus Cousins who is all around one of the most talented players in the league, but he's he's showing improving in a small market. Does that diminish when he goes to a bigger market? Does that diminish when he goes onto a team with a superstar like a Dwayne Wade where he has to defer to him? You have to take those things into consideration. Is it really worth it to give up the dynamic for the sense of somebody so potentially explosive positively and negatively? So for Miami, I can't call it. But in the general sense speaking, teams like the Wizards, teams like um, like Dallas, teams like that, you definitely take him because he's a better big man than what you have. And he can bring that that little edge to get you over the hump and make you a championship team. Yeah, I, I think that's just what it all boils down to. Like, you know, do you want to take the risk? It's a high-risk, high-reward with DeMarcus Cousins. You bring him onto your, your team, you know, is the potential to then to go to the, the, the champion, like the championship. If you're, uh, you know, somebody like the Wizards, you're a team that's been getting to the second round, you bring him, you can go to the championship. Or it could be the opposite. He come on, and then next thing you know, he punched the coach in the face. And then, you know, it's coming out. He get lost in the nightlife out in D.C. You know, next thing you know, you see the bam on the news and handcuffs. And be like, what happened, young? And then, you know, because, like, losing, especially, like, right now, we're on a skid right now. The Wizards are losing three in a row. And I, I just, I, me knowing the Wizards and knowing, you know, we've gone through the Gilbert Arenas and all this guns in the locker room, all types of funny business when, when, when it was unruly bad character guys in the locker room and to me like his talent is all world he's unstoppable Bam, 33 and 9 when i saw him hitting threes i was like young this bam is fake because like he's he's 610 and he can body you on the block like dropping say and he can give you buckets from the outside or he can hit free throws he can block shots he can rebound he's defensive but his mind is scrambled eggs young he, he, I just, you know, some of the decisions he makes is not bad. And I don't think George Carl, I think he, like, flames the fire, you know, opposed to, like, being able to kindle it. And I think you're right. If it's a Doc Rivers, a Greg Popovich, or somebody who's proven, has a track record, they could deal with it. I don't think Randy Whitman could deal with it. I would think you have to get rid of Randy Whitman, which Aaron wouldn't mind. But you would have to get rid of Randy Whitman. <laughs> in order to bring DeMarcus Cousins in. And the coach that you would have to have would have to be somebody with a with a proven track record and some level of respect. And then on top of that, the team would have to be good. So this is a lot of factors that would go into it in order to get DeMarcus Cousins here. But with that, that's our time. Uh, Black Sports 980, you can follow us on Twitter. It's BLK Sports 980. Um, you can, you know, Texas questions, hit us up with questions on on the, on the Twitter, if you, you know stuff you want us to address. Um, and anybody got any last words? Anything you want to say? LA uh, Fitness in Crompton. Oh LA my Fitness. God! That's it. <laughs> uh, LA Fitness in Crompton. Yeah, next next <laughs> next week we go. <laughs> next week we gonna have a little bit of fan. We might do a little fantasy spin. Talk about some fantasy players that you might want to look up because we we all play fantasy here, so uh, we'll we'll try to add that in the mix. Um, and that's our show. So, holler at you. are you saying black folks?
can't afford expensive cars. Huh, boss hog? <laughs> you don't like black people very much, do you, sir? <laughs>